Let's open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12. We're going to read there together in just a moment, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and you can follow along in a copy of God's Word yourself, and we'll read that together and, and work our way through this. I want to mention a couple of things coming up. The membership class is two weeks from today. If you want to join our church, you can do it through the class, or if you just want to find out more about our church, you're welcome to come, and uh, you can fill out that information on the connection card and put it in where you put the offerings or bring it to us at Connection Point. We'll sign you up if you'd like to come. And then I wanted to mention as well, at the beginning of the year, I talked about three uh, goals for our church for this calendar year. And the first one was to start at least four new adult life groups. And we're well on our way to exceeding that. And man, I'd love to see people get in those small group Bible studies. We call them life groups. We have them for all ages, but I'd love to see uh, adults get connected as well. We'll help you find a class if you need to. And then the second goal was to baptize uh, at least 100 people this calendar year. We baptized uh, an adult man uh, earlier today. And all year long, you'll hear us talk about helping people hear the gospel, come to know Christ as Savior. I don't doubt there are many of you here who uh, need Christ as Savior, and probably a, a good number of people here who need to follow in believers' baptism. And then the third goal is uh, for Easter Sunday. I said, let's Let's set a goal of 2,000 people or more on Easter Sunday. And I suspect there are some people who would come to worship on Easter Sunday if you would invite them, and God will use that in their life, the great story of the power of God, the gospel itself, and the resurrection is a great time to have a guest come, of course. Well, let's read in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going through this book of the Bible. Uh, each verse we're kind of looking at, and you may remember Paul was talking to the church of Corinth, and he was talking to them in a, in a time when a lot of um, kind of false leaders who thought of themselves as super apostles were very proud of their accomplishments, and Paul's talking about how we ought to downplay that and instead talk about the Lord, and he's going to talk about uh, on the subject grace is sufficient. So let's read beginning with verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Bible says boasting is necessary. It is not profitable, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. For if I want to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revela uh, revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Well, here's the principle I want us to get together this morning. God's grace is sufficient to meet the needs of your life. If you're a note taker, you might want to write that down. God's grace is sufficient to meet, to meet the needs of your life. And I'm going to look with you at three principles of grace as we look at what grace is about and we see a little of what it teaches us, what it reminds us about. Grace at its heart is the love of God. It's where God gives us his love, though we don't deserve it. Mercy is kind of the opposite side, the second side of that coin, the opposite side of that same coin. Mercy is where God doesn't give us the bad things we des that we deserve. Grace, the other side of the coin of God's love, 
is God giving to us um, the good things that we can't earn or merit or deserve. And so let's note three principles together. Principle number one, God, <clears throat> grace rather, points you to God's glory. Grace points you to God's glory. And in verse one, Paul begins to talk about a revelation of a man 14 years earlier. And he said, he tells about this man, a man he knows in Christ, he said, was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Now, I think what he's saying in, when he's talking about third heaven is just this simple. We sometimes use this kind of terminology ourselves. We think of uh, the sky as the heavens, and then beyond that to the outer space, the universe uh, as a whole. And then the third is heaven itself, the, pl the place where God resides. And this is what Paul's talking about. He calls it paradise. And Paul's saying this man 14 years ago, whether in the body or out, he said, I don't know, God knows. I don't know if it was physically that he was transported to heaven or just, or just God just took him there uh, as a vision. He said he was in, in paradise, in heaven, and uh, experienced heaven in a way that showed him the greatness and the glory of God. Paul said, I'll boast about that. I'm not going to boast about myself. But man, you talk about something great. That guy saw something of the glory and the majesty of God. Perhaps some of you have thought of God as like he's fine. You're not maybe against God. Perhaps you, you know, think of him as you're okay with God, but you've never thought of him as great. You think of him as, as okay, good. But to see the glory of God, this man, Paul said, man, he saw God's glory. And it was greater than he could express, than he could put into human terminology. So we might say it like this. Grace points out to us two things. First, it, it points us to God's greatness. It points us to God's greatness. That is, grace reminds us that God is able to forgive us of our sins, to adopt us into his family, to make us whole, to take the brokenness of our lives and make us whole, and to give us his greatness, his glory, and heaven itself. In Christ, the Bible says, you are declared righteous and holy as though you had never sinned. Now, you know you've sinned, and God knows you've sinned, but in Christ, you're forgiven to such an extent that the, that the righteousness of God is given to you because you're so fully forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, you receive the glory of God. Heaven becomes your home. You're adopted into God's family. I'm going to just say a word about heaven as well. I think maybe some people think of heaven as sort of like maybe it's a boring place or, um, you know, I mean, it's better than the alternative, but heaven is so much better than however you pictured it. The, the more you know God's word, the more you study the things of God, the more you get to know God himself, the greater you will think of heaven as being, but it's better than that. Because in this world, we're never going to fully be able to experience the greatness of what heaven is and whatever however we picture it is greater than that a place where there's no more sorrow or sickness or death or pain or on and on just the the glory of god in that place and the bible says not only does grace point us to god's greatness but it points out our weakness verse in verse five paul said i'll, I'll boast about that guy but in verse five he said i'll i'll boast about this person but not about myself except of my weaknesses Paul's saying, the more I get to know of God, the more I see his greatness and the more I see my weakness. 
And the more you understand grace, the more you'll see the greatness of God, the glory of God, and the more you'll see your weakness. It's not that the people sitting around you have it all together and they've never had any problems and they've never made mistakes. In fact, every person around you this day, all of us in this room and all of us who are watching online or hear this message in some other way, all of us have sinned and we're all broken and we all fall short. And the more we get to understand the things of God, the more we recognize his greatness and our weakness. And we're not saved. It's not as though God said, you know, look, I, I couldn't help but notice how great a person you were. And so I wanted to give you, I wanted to love you because you're so good. Is that God saw you as you are, the weakness, the sin that no one else sees, the sin that you hide from your own heart. And God knows that full well. And he knows how sinful sin is and how damaging and painful and wrong. And yet, by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for you, when you repent of your sin and trust Christ to save you, the Bible says God forgives you. And we see his grace. We see his greatness and we see our weakness. Uh, Vicki and I grew up here in Illinois and then early in our marriage we lived in Texas and both of those places, the places we lived in those states, were just as flat as could be. So I don't know if you're aware of how few hills there are between here and Chicago. I mean, it's pretty much a pancake from here to Chicago. The interstate overpasses, you know, a few of those. I mean, maybe an occasional something along those lines, but it's nothing like the mountains. Texas was the same. We were in the kind of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's really flat. And so I had gone on family vacation when I was younger, but Vicki had never even seen the mountains. So we got a chance in our, I guess we're probably in our late 20s, we got a chance to go skiing. And we flew, and Vicki had seen pictures of mountains, and mountains, you know, on television shows, things, movies, things like that. But nothing, I mean, that just doesn't compare to the reality. Some of you, you know, you know what the mountains are like a little bit more. And so we flew into Colorado Springs, which is kind of at the foothill of the mountains. You know, the mountains get bigger from there, I guess. And a beautiful place. And Vicki cried when she saw the mountains. I mean, she wept. And... Uh, I mean, it was that overwhelming to her because she was, she was reminding me after the first service of how she was taking pictures, and um, I kept saying, hey, I mean, the, right, the picture won't do justice to this. I mean, we've seen lots of pictures of mountains, and this is it. And there was something so beautiful and big about that and amazing. And the closer we got to the mountains, the more we kind of understand their majesty, and the closer you get to God's grace, the more you understand his glory. Maybe you've read about it. You know, you've heard other people talk about it. But God wants you to experience it for yourself, the majesty, the glory, the greatness of God. When you understand how great God is and how weak you are, how sinful you are. Listen, some of you felt like God's really sort of fortunate to have someone like you. You've never seen the truth about your sin. But perhaps you've never seen the greatness of God and his holiness and his glory. But when you, when you begin to understand grace, you see something of the greatness and the glory of God. Grace always does that to us. It's always pointing us to God's glory. Principle number two, grace is greater than your efforts. This is an important part of what grace is all about. It's greater than your efforts. In verse uh, six, Paul says, if I went to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I'd be telling the truth. Paul had plenty of things he could have boasted about. But he said, I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Paul's saying, 
Listen, grace is not about us. It's not about me. I'm not the hero of this story. And I want to remind you that you are not the hero of the story of grace. Christ is the hero of the story of grace. And no one else is. You're not the hero of that story. Action movies are all the rage. Action movies all the time. And when you see an action movie, there's a, there's hero, a hero or heroes. And there's usually a villain or villains. And then there's the poor civilian somewhere in between. They're just the normal guys. And the heroes are always saving the poor civilians. They, I don't know, falling off a mountain or a, some big building gets attacked and, they're, and they have to get rescued. And, but when we picture the movies, we picture ourselves like we're the hero in that movie. We're the, you know, we're the Iron Man, we're the Thor, we're the Spider-Man or whoever your hero might be. And, but the reality, the Bible is saying, is that's not us in grace. You're not, you're not the hero of the story of grace. It's not that you swooped in and saved the day. It's that God did for you what you could not do for yourself. In fact, if you get right down to it, you are weak and frail and fragile and unable. You don't have the ability to save yourself. You won't go to heaven because you've, been, you've done enough good things or because you've been so perfect. I mean, none of us are. We're all, we're all broken. And the Lord is the hero of the story. And Paul's saying... Grace is not about me. In fact, he says in the middle of verse 7, if you have your Bible open, look there with me, please. He says, therefore, he's saying God wants me to see this, that I'm not the hero of the story. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Let's note a couple things about this. I've always been fascinated by this. Paul says there's a... Therefore, there's an affliction. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. Now, I don't know what that thorn in the flesh is. I mean, a thorn, I know what a thorn is, of course. A thorn's no fun to have. If you've ever pulled a weed that's got thorns or you have a roses and you get a thorn in your thumb, I mean, it's terrible. It's, Paul says he had a thorn in the flesh. I, I suspect he's talking about some affliction to his physical body. He doesn't say a thorn in my spirit, but a thorn in my flesh. So I suspect there's something that happened to him physically that's causing a problem. It could have been some illness or sickness or could have been something as simple as, um, I've always wondered if maybe it was eyesight in the end of Galatians. Paul says, I'm writing this part with my own hand and see the large letters. And he didn't, of course, in that day without the reading glasses that I use, it would have been such a difficult thing. Whatever it was, some physical problem that he calls a thorn in the flesh. It's, it's bad, he doesn't like it, it's causing problems. And he said, it's not just an affliction, but it, it reminds him that he has an adversary. He calls it a messenger of Satan. It's a messenger of Satan to torment him. So that doesn't sound good, does it? Do you want a messenger of Satan to torment you? I mean, would you like to have a thorn in the flesh? It sounds terrible. We live in a fallen, broken world, and as soon as sin entered the world, with it came all the death and disease and pandemics and physical problems. We, we uh, get sick and we die. We, I mean, these, that's a part of this world. Sin has affected every part of our world, including nature itself. We're affected by the ravages of sin. And so the Bible says it's an affliction, a thorn in the flesh. The enemy is using it, the adversary. It's called a messenger of Satan. Look at 
what you can't do, Paul. Look at the problems you have. But Paul says there's a purpose behind it. And I want you to see this in verse 7. It's mentioned twice. It must be important. He says, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And then he says it again, so that I would not exalt myself. So Paul's saying there's a purpose behind this. God is allowing me to face this thorn in the flesh, this difficulty, this messenger of Satan, so that, that's the purpose, I would not exalt myself. God so wants me to not think that I'm the hero of the story, to not depend upon myself or my abilities or my talents, to see the truth about my weakness, my fallen nature, my need for the Lord, that he allows this to happen because it's in my best interest. So let's note a lesson of grace and then the size of grace. The lesson of grace is this. We're saved through faith in God's grace and not by our works. The Bible teaches this often. We're not saved because we um, are good. No one in this room is going to go to heaven because they were so good. The Bible says there's no one good. No, not one. We're all sinners and we all fall short. We won't go to heaven because we're religious, because we've done good things, because we've been kind to small animals and old women or something, or whatever it is that you would say, this is my, this is, look how good I, look how good I am, God. Whatever it is. We're saved by grace, the Bible says, through faith. We place our faith, not in our goodness, but in Christ's goodness on our behalf. Not in what we've done, but what he did. Christ died for us his blood was shed for my sin he paid the debt that i owed and we trust christ not our goodness not our hard work and not our effort but what christ has done for us that's the lesson god wants us to get we are weak and fallen and prone to wonder we are we are short term in this world we're filled with problems and difficulties our our lives all of us are broken by sin and the choices of lives that of life that we have made ourselves we've all gone our own way we've gone we're like sheep who have gone astray the bible says that's the lesson of grace but also note the size of grace the bible is saying here grace is greater than our sin So Paul's saying, I'm reminded by this thorn in the flesh of the problems of my life, my own weakness, but God's grace is greater than that. Whatever sin you have in your life, maybe some of you came to this place saying, I mean, if those people knew what's in my heart or what's in my past, man, if God knows what's in my heart or what's in my past, and I just want you to understand this, however great your sin may be, And the more you understand about sin, the more you understand about how serious it is. God's grace is bigger. And his blood is sufficient. And he can save you. Whatever you brought with you. Now listen, I know some of you think of sin as no big deal. And you have just, as as though sinning against God is no big deal at all. Many, Many, believe me, many have that. But some of you came to this place saying, God could never forgive me. And I'm telling you, the blood of Jesus is sufficient. Jesus lived the perfect life that none of us could live. He was worthy, therefore, to die the death that all of us deserve. 
And he died in our place. And he provided the miracle that all of us need in the resurrection. And we can be forgiven because Christ paid that penalty. And you can be forgiven of your sins. Can I also say to you, believers, those of you who have trusted Christ as Savior already, you don't have to carry the burden of sin. Understand how serious sin is. See the full nature of how sinful sinfulness is. But recognize that God's grace is greater and he can forgive you and you don't have to carry that burden. God is able to forgive you and you don't have to go back and pick up your past and your pain and carry it on your shoulders any longer. The Lord is able to forgive and he can forgive you because grace is greater than our efforts. I don't know, maybe one of the most famous songs in all the world is a, is a song called Amazing Grace. If you've been to a funeral, there's a good chance they played Amazing Grace. I mean, if you've, if you even have not been very connected to church life, you've probably heard of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace was written by a guy named John Newton long ago. And John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, was, of all things, before he came to know Christ as Savior, he was a slave trader. That was his job. He would... Um, take captured men and women and boys and girls in chains across oceans to live in bondage. That's what he did. But God got a hold of even a man with that kind of wickedness in his life. And he came to realize he was a sinner. And by the way, though his sins may be different than yours, the effect of sin of my life and your life is just as terrible, just as wrong, just as sinful against God as anyone else's sins in all this room and all this world. But when he came to know Christ as Savior and found forgiveness of sin, he would eventually write this song, Amazing Grace. Did you notice he didn't call it like lukewarm grace or healthful grace or sort of nice grace? But because he saw something of the sinfulness of sin and the greatness of God, he called it Amazing Grace. And because he understood something of how only God could do that, he couldn't deserve it, but God could lavish it upon him it became for him amazing grace. And some of you, it has been for you sort of lukewarm grace and nice grace and good grace, fine grace. But when you see the greatness of God and the greatness of sin, when you see how little you deserve it and how freely God gives it, when you see the price that was paid by Jesus to offer it, then it becomes amazing grace. There's a third principle I'd like you to know. Grace is adequate for your circumstances. Now don't miss this. This is an important concept. So let's go to verse 8. What do you do when you have a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that's tormenting you? What do you do? What do you do when you face uh, difficulties or adversity or problem? What about when you find out you have cancer or some medical diagnosis or you've lost a job or your child is sick and you don't know what the, what, where to turn? What do you do? Well, here's what Paul did. He prayed. And the Bible says concerning this, verse 8, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord. By the way, his prayer wasn't the little, um, God is good, God is great, or thank you, God, for my food. Or, I mean, it was pleading with God. When it's someone else's illness, maybe you just pray. But when it's yours, you plead. When it's your child, when it's your grandchild, when it's your friend, when it's your spouse... Paul was pleading with the Lord. He wasn't just sort of hoping. He was pleading with God to remove that thorn 
from the flesh. In fact, the Bible says he, he did it three times. That is, there are three periods of time where Paul prays and pleads and asks God to remove that from him, to take that thorn in the flesh, whatever it was. Let me say just a word about healing here. Two things I want you to know. Number one, God can heal. God is able to heal. The New Testament is filled with miracles Jesus performed, healing people, and the Lord has the power to heal. He is the great God who is able to speak the world into existence. Certainly, God can heal in our world. When I face adversity, when my family faces problems, I pray to God, I plead with him, knowing that God is able to heal. And I want you to note as well that God will heal. Not always in my timing, but he will heal ultimately. Heaven is a place, as I've said before, it was not, there's no sickness or sorrow or pain or death, no tears, no suffering, no pandemics. And there's a sense in which death for the believer is the ultimate healing. And God fully heals in heaven itself. I think of my own grandfather who was severely crippled all of his life, but in heaven, no longer crippled. God can heal and God will heal. But I will have you note here that in this case, even with the great apostle Paul, who had served the Lord so faithfully and had done so much for the cause of Christ, even though he had pleaded with the Lord three times, God did not heal him. And Paul realized it was in his best interest that God not answer his prayer in this particular case as he wanted it answered. And so let's note two lessons that God chose to teach Paul and that God wants to teach us. This God who can heal and the God who ultimately will heal, but the God who in this case said to Paul, not yet. Let's note two things, two lessons to learn. Number one, what you need most is grace. What you need most is grace. Here's, what, here's how the Lord answered Paul's pleading three times. Verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, it's enough. It's enough. More than you need healing, more than you need the removal of the thorn, more than you need whatever else you might think you need, what you need is my grace, and it's sufficient. Whatever you think you need most, money, power, pleasure, job, relationship, career, whatever it is, healing, comfort, peace, protection. My grace is sufficient for you. Uh, some months ago, I watched with interest, it's the most unusual video. There was a Christian satire site that had uh, Elon Musk respond to them about something. And through that, they, got, they asked him for if they could interview him, and he said yes, of all things. The richest man in the world said yes to some little small Christian satire site, sat down for an interview, and they interviewed him, and they asked him various questions along the way, and some of it serious, some of it silly, and uh, just a lot of, uh, Elon Musk is, um, if, you don't, if you know him, you would know this, unusual guy, smart, and, but just thinks differently, just even the answers, I just watched with some fascination as he, you know, answered the questions they had about various things, and and they commented back and forth, and sometimes silly, sometimes serious. And somewhere along the way in the interview, one of the interviewers asked this question, and I think they had a series of questions they asked 
people generally speaking when they did interviews, but he asked Elon Musk this question. He said, would you, he said, would you do us a solid and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Something like that. What an odd way to say it. Would you do us a solid and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I listened to Elon Musk um, sort of talked a little bit about his admiration for Jesus, some, and that sort of thing. And unfortunately, I thought they kind of made it, stayed with the joke part of it too much instead of this, because it's, it it's the question, isn't it? What will you do with Jesus? I'm just, can I just tell you this? What you need is not money. I mean, you think that's what I need most, money. It, it won't matter how much you get, it'll never be, it'll never satisfy. It can't. My grace is sufficient. Or pleasure, if I could just have pleasure, if my life could be free of problems and difficulties, if I had pleasure, it'll never be enough. But the Lord says, my grace is sufficient. Or a thousand things that you seek and you say, that's what I need most. That's what I, if I could get that. The Lord is saying, what you need most, it's not to say, great, God gives you some money, great, wonderful. He's giving you health, wonderful. These are good things. But don't miss the great thing. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, that's, that's, what, you're, that's what you're seeking. And this thorn in the flesh can be a lesson to remind you of what matters most. And I know you don't like it. And you don't ask for it. And you're pleading with me to take it. But I want to remind you of this, that my grace is sufficient and what you need most is me. There's a second lesson that God wanted Paul to learn and that God wants us to learn. Your weakness can lead you to find God's strength. Your weakness can lead you to find God's strength. So Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. My power is perfected in weakness. So Paul, here's what I want you to learn, and you're going to learn this lesson with this thorn in the flesh. You're going to learn that you are weak. You're weak. So God has ways of reminding us of this. I was immortal, you know, 18 and 20 years old. And I mean, that's how I thought, immortal. And then over time, God begins to show you, you're not, no, you're you're pretty doggone mortal, you know? You young guys, you stay in the game long enough. Eventually, you'll see. You're pretty doggone mortal. Things will hurt that didn't hurt before. Things will, you'll be unable to do things you used to do. Life just changes. Your body is temporary. And God reminds us, man, listen. I didn't call you because I thought, oh man, you're, I needed you. You're, I was in trouble without you. It's not that at all. God knew our weaknesses so fully. God knows the weakness of our past, our sins and our problems. God knows the weakness of our bodies and our minds and our spirit and our soul. God knows that full well. And he says, I, listen, I want to use you in your weakness. And your weakness can be a means by which you realize how much you need me and trust me. Because Paul, what I need from you is not just some education, you know, smart guy, quick thinker. I need, I need a guy who recognizes his weakness and finds my power instead of his. 
And God's saying to you, every once in a while, God uses these moments in your life, these circumstances to say, listen, hey, man, life is temporary and it's short. There's weakness in you that you don't like anyone else to see. But lean into that. Lean into that. And trust me instead of trusting yourself. And if you will do that, you will find that I am sufficient. And that my power is perfected in weakness. And you've needed me all along. And I can take care of all the, all the difficulties and problems that you've brought with you to ministry and to service. Man, that's all the better because I, wanna, I want people to see Christ and not you. I want grace to be about me, the Lord is saying, and not about you. And there is a power to that and a lesson to be learned. So some of you are facing affliction now. And I don't want to downplay it. I'm not saying you enjoy the problems and that's the way it's supposed to be. Maybe you're like Paul, pleading with the Lord to remove it. But perhaps God, and perhaps God will heal you. God often heals. Maybe he'll remove it to remind you of, of his mercy and grace or to remind you of his provision but perhaps God in the middle of this problem will say I want you to learn a lesson here you can trust me and grace is sufficient and it's what you really need most and in your weakness you find my strength lean into that lean into that and I'll do great things in and through you would you bow with me for a word of prayer as we pray some of you are here who need to be saved and this message of grace was just a reminder to you that God loves you, not because you're perfect, because God is showing you that you are imperfect and broken and you can't save yourself. Would you today repent of your sin, place your trust in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you and receive him as Savior? Christ can save you. Christ will save you. Right where you are, you can give your life to Christ and find forgiveness in Christ, find salvation in Christ. Christian, would you say, God, um, I want to recognize how great grace is, how weak I am, so that I see how great you are. I want to see your glory. I want to make my life not about me, but about you. I'm not the hero of the story. You are. And yet you lift me up and use me to accomplish what you want done in me, but it's all because of who you are and not because of me, and I want to trust you more. And some of you are facing some affliction right now, and I wonder if you wouldn't say, God, I want to learn the lessons from this. I don't like it much. Maybe you would heal me from this, God, and I would give you glory for that. But in the middle of this affliction, would you, Father, teach me your grace is sufficient and your, your power is made perfect in weakness. Help me to lean into that. And Father, I want to thank you for your word, the truth it teaches us, the power it gives us. Lord, for people who need to be saved, would you draw them to yourself? For Christians who are listening to this message, would you help us to trust you and turn to you? For, for some who are facing their own thorn in the flesh, their own difficulties, their own problems and struggles, in the middle of this, even through this, would you help us to see the things that last and count? Help us to see your grace is sufficient and your power is made perfect in weakness. Knowing that one day we'll find full healing as we stand before you, help us in this day to live a life that counts for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.